And we're back with another episode of Food in the Hood. That's right. It's been a while. It has been. <laughs> it indeed has. Yeah. Thank you to our、uh, listeners who you know are patiently waiting for our next episode.、Uh, we, I think, we have something that is very relevant for what's happening in our world today、um, to share. Right, Ben?、Uh, yes. So,、um, you, you know. I think at this point everyone has heard that. Yeah.、Um, the, the, For context, the, like this right now, it is February twenty seventh, so the tail end of February, and、uh-huh. you know, a couple of days ago,、um, as many of you have probably heard on the news, we saw Russia invade Ukraine, in what would you know some people might call one of the, I guess, largest wars that are happening that is happening. Um, on the European continent in quite a long time, right? Several Since decades. Since the World War Two. Yeah, yeah,、mm-hmm. and you know, Ben and I, we don't support war in any sense, right? Like, we don't want to glorify war. It's you know a terrifying ordeal that has led to many lives lost in the past and even more lives disrupted.、Um, But I think it would be you know something that a lot of people might be interested in is what, how, how does you know. How have wars changed our food systems in the past? How have food and food supply been affected during war? Right, like how food supply and logistics is a contributing factor to wars that are lost or won.、Um, there's a lot to be said here, right? Uh, yeah. So we were just um, we're, we're talking a little bit um about this this war and um. How we were both in shock that it happened, and、uh, seeing people suffering in、uh, Ukraine,、uh, it was really,、uh, you, you, you know, it was really reflective to us as well of what war can bring to people overall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we thought that、uh, we'll do、uh, perhaps two episodes dedicated to、uh, food and war, right?、Mm-hmm. Uh, how uh, how warfare has changed. The, the the food systems overall through、mm-hmm. our history, and how is、uh, food supplies and logistics as a critical function for、uh, national defense or for、uh, preparation of wars, right?、Mm-hmm. So、mm-hmm. Um, that's why we want to,、uh, you know, part of the reason that we want to get back on the pod and start to talk a little bit more about the behind the scene of how.、Uh, Some of these food innovations were forced、mm-hmm. by war, and how、yeah. they sustained.、Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.、Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think a lot of times, right, in these very, very precarious times, that you know,、uh, we 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 see developments in the food systems in order for people to be able to support their troops overseas,、mm-hmm. etc. And I think we we you know we have seen that happen a lot. In the era of World War One and World War Two, so I think we can definitely like jump in and talk a little bit about sort of back then, right? A couple decades ago, what what that looks like, and then how、yeah. how how does that play out in modern warfare, right? Yeah,、uh, in this recording, we'll stick with more of the history lessons and how、uh, through the history what has changed or what has been invented、uh, in terms of keeping the Uh, food supplies、uh, during wartime, and、uh, how people came up with different food、um, food products、uh, mm-hmm. during this time. 
right? Yeah. And um, which is kind of um, maybe a manner you can kick us off to think of uh, what were people eating back then. Or, right, or let's just right. talk about in the context of World War II. Right. So I think a lot of times when we think about war, it's not just kind of what troops are eating while they're at war, but also what people, civilians, or civilians, <laughs> what civilians are eating back home um, in order for people abroad to be able to eat well, right? So a lot of yeah. times what happens during war is that in order to make sure that troops overseas are well-fed, um, civilians might have to kind of reduce consumption, their own personal consumption of certain food items, um, just because, mm-hmm. you know, supply chain disruptions and everything might make it so that there's less supply in general. And then you want to reserve also whatever you can for people who are fighting overseas or, you know, out on the front lines. Yeah. For instance, I mean, this is kind of, you know, across the board, it happens in a lot of countries, but let's just talk about sort of um, in the U.S., right? During mm-hmm. the war wars um, earlier on in the 20th century, a lot of times um, there were slogans and posters that, you know, went around saying food will win the war, right? The whole idea is to compel people to avoid wasting sort of pressures groceries and you know yeah. get them to eat the things that are hard to transport overseas or like fresh fruits Definitely. and vegetables and then things that are easier to transport overseas like maybe you know uh flour or etc mm-hmm. things that are more shelf stable frozen meat yeah right right those those type of um those type of food items were you know people were encouraged to eat less of them so that troops would be, be able to eat more of those yeah, so that's actually quite something to, to, to think of, right? At, I guess back then, especially food supplies were lesser sophisticated than mm-hmm. uh, what we have right now. And uh, the, the different food items were really reserved for war back then. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they had to be um, kept well uh, to transport, especially in the context of the U.S., right? Because the war uh, wasn't really happening uh, in the U.S., um, but they mm-hmm. were sending tro- they were sending troops abroad, mm-hmm. and in order to keep up with the supply, they had to do certain things. And the really, this is just like how like the effect of a war uh, mm-hmm. in the magnitude of normal like people's life, right? Because yeah. right now, uh, thankfully, we are at least uh, for uh, people are not in the Ukraine. We don't have mm-hmm. to think too much about food, mm-hmm. uh, but you could already feel the, the the effect of the war of, uh, let's say, energy or gas price. Yeah, and, and all this is going to also impact food costs eventually, right? Exactly. Yes. We yes, need they will. Gas and fuel to transport food, right? To grow foods and send them to places. Um, so it's going to have a ripple effect, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just in the past, this effect is much more. Uh, severe to mm-hmm. everyday's eating and yeah this is already uh something to think of the fragility of uh of the food supply mm-hmm. uh, in relation to uh a, a war or yeah. something of that magnitude it will um it will definitely uh, you'll feel it right because because yep. food price and food supplies is something that you'll feel immediately from mm-hmm. your day-to-day life 
Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's back in those days. And actually, when you say back in those days, right, it's because we have a lot of information about what goes on. But actually, we even yeah. see it today in certain places like Yemen or other countries where, you know, wars are being waged. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times because of this limited supply of food, right, citizens will be issued something like a ration book that is essentially a book <laughs> with removable yeah. stamps, right? And maybe right. you get one book per month and there's only you know, X number of stamps to get sugar or to get flour or to get cooking mm-hmm. oil. Uh, not only do you have to pay for the groceries, right? When you pay, you also have to give them the stamp, right? Yeah, because you have a cap. They don't, uh-huh. Right, exactly. They don't want someone who's rich to buy off all the ingredients and someone who's poor might not be able to sustain themselves. So what's actually, you know, interesting about this is a lot of times during war, like, you know, rich people could end up eating worse off and poor mm-hmm. people actually end up eating better sometimes right in yeah. a very weird um kind of convoluted it, way that it, it plays out be. yeah yeah and one of the examples um mm-hmm. is uh coffee yeah. right because um coffee it was really just a nice um nice beverage to have especially uh as an energy booster mm-hmm. uh, so uh that was one of the uh food items that was uh was uh, rationed uh yes. during war too right mm-hmm. uh, everyone had a quota uh, to buy coffee and according to some sources it's about one pound every five to six weeks which uh, is actually person. more than i expected <laughs> yeah that's, that's well, like from a non-coffee drinker right <laughs> yeah, yeah it's about well it's around a cup per day probably it's like an adequate amount of coffee yeah. uh, but really depending on how and um uh, how much you consume it could be really well it's a cap that that's mm-hmm. to put it simple right mm-hmm. so uh it, it just think of how you you know and and this is to everyone right mm-hmm. so so even um fdr the president back then was criticized of uh, maybe drinking two cups of coffee per day mm-hmm. um but but he's uh explanation right, like how dare you drink two cups where all the civilians are drinking yeah. one cup <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, uh, the, his justification was that yeah. um, he was brewing the coffee twice, right? So uh, using the same ground for, 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 see, for uh, two yeah. times. Okay. Um, so, 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 you know, it's just uh, some anecdotes to, to think of. Uh, maybe food is really a problem back then. Yeah. And yeah. The, the supply of it, and especially the type of food, really mattered mm-hmm. a lot, right? Because mm-hmm. fr- fresh vegetables and, uh, you, you know, ripened bananas is not going to travel very far. Correct. Um, yeah. But uh, flour, rice, and right, all these uh, right. cereals uh, yeah. can Actually, be very that's stable. Because if you look at some of the posters that were published um, during the World War, right? For instance, take some that were p- published in the US, or maybe it was the UK. I think it was the UK because it was, you know, you guys can check out BBC. They had um, this little website talking about food rations during the war uh, world war one or world war two but you know it was saying mm-hmm. that men would get uh seven pounds of bread every week right mm-hmm. which works out to about a pound of bread per day whereas women will get four or five pounds of bread per day because i guess they assume oh, no. that women eat less i was like oh interesting <laughs> yeah, well that raise a flag <laughs> that that wouldn't fly today yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would not fly today uh but like i know you know bread was ration uh, people were encouraged to eat fresh fruits and vegetables and fish even 
Um, mm -hmm. Butter was also rationed, right? Flour was rationed. Um, sugar was also rationed, right? So like, you know, you want to make sweetened coffee or sweetened tea, well, you better, you know, be careful and not use yeah. up all your sugar at once, right? And I think also what's kind of interesting too, because you talked about coffee, right? Like mm -hmm. I think of it, there's all these like bulk commodities, like, you know, uh, cooking oil or butter or flour. That's like, you know, that's, I guess, like essential, right? But then there's yeah. also the other flip side of what might consider non-essential food items like coffee or alcohol, but these actually become kind of yeah. pressures during war, right? Because like, right, your wartime right, right. efforts, you're you're using like your factories not to churn out more like Guinness beer or whatever. You're like making, <laughs> you know, you, you're probably using like precious things to make things. You know, you know what yeah. I mean, right? You're not trying yeah, to yeah, like, like you have to uh, optimize your processing capabilities. Yeah, yeah. Prioritize so, uh, the essentials. Because, you know, then cigarettes, alcohol, and coffee, all these like vices almost become a form of um, things that you can barter and trade with during war. Yeah. Because people exactly. like, need something to help them take the edge off. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also and and also, those are um, used to supply the soldiers. Mm -hmm. Right. Because they were, they, they were on, uh, they're on the front line. And, uh, yeah. Those are things that they, uh, they wish to have. Uh, right, right. It makes then. them yeah. feel a little bit better, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And um, I guess uh, on this note, and, and another, uh, during this um, during this wartime, right, because of, uh, like, let's say, on a scale of a World War II, this is something um, that really takes years to finish, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. and, and during this time, a lot of... Um, innovation or forced innovations were happening uh, mm -hmm. back then. And uh, people really were thinking of ways to preserve food and to come up with uh, more shelf-stable food that mm -hmm. they could transport and mm -hmm. um, to, to, to just feed the, uh, the, the soldiers. And one of um, the most representative things and also uh, have, uh, have kept its, uh, its um, viability until now, right? Which mm -hmm. is uh, uh, spam. Uh, yeah. these ha hams uh, canned yeah. hams mm -hmm. right and uh, this is something uh, I guess Amanda had a history with <laughs> yeah well actually yeah. I there's actually a spam museum I believe in Minnesota so y'all out there in the Midwest if you ever pass by Minnesota you can go check it out but <laughs> where, where, that that must be in like Austin Minnesota I think or so. somewhere where the, the the Hormel company is yeah yeah yeah. So the spam brand is probably <laughs> like a really common household name that people have heard of the brand spam, right? It's technically luncheon meat, right? And there's many, many mm -hmm. different brands, but spam was the original one created in 1937. Um, so if you look at the timing at which it was created, it's around wartime, right? Around World yeah. War II, um, where there was a increased need for non-perishable food items that were packed with protein. So mm -hmm. this product, right, it is essentially meat, salt, um, you know, maybe Starch. nitrate. Yeah. yeah. And put it in a can, process it. It's shelf-stable for years. Um, mm -hmm. And this kind of non-perishable nature is really important for when you're shipping your food across like the Atlantic Ocean, right, to your troops. 
Um, mm-hmm. And at the same time, it also uses a portion of the pig or the hog that is kind of underutilized, which is the shoulder portion. So, you know, in a mm-hmm. way, you're creating a product that is, you know, from underused waste streams um, and then yeah. creating something that would, you know, be non-perishable for a long time. No, yeah, exactly. So that's something uh, you're just forced to do it. And mm-hmm. it has been a, uh, I, I guess, a stable food back then as a pro- protein source, right? Mm-hmm. So if we're thinking of the different uh, uh, macromolecules that people consume, the sugar, protein, and fat, uh, I guess sugar, you, you can get it from various sources and gran- granular sugar can stay. It's it's pretty uh, non-perishable. Yeah. And um, you know, cereals certainly are, are, are easier to store and transport. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um but and and I guess fat also, right? Because yeah. if you have oil or or uh, even I think solid fat to some yeah. extent are easier or lesser perishable than than proteins. Protein um, is really hard. It's just like well, a be- great environment for growth for microbes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and also back then the proteins were mo- mostly uh, animal proteins. Right there, there's no like pea protein isolate, soy protein isolate. For, <laughs> there's no for whey protein powder yeah. that they can right, right, shake right. and drink it on a field or yeah, 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 yeah. Right, exactly. Like meat, so right, <laughs> yeah, it's it's mostly so. just meat, um, and it's much harder to uh to to preserve and uh, transport meat than mm-hmm. some of the other uh, food products. Absolutely. So, so that's absolutely. probably why. Um, yeah, so can't meet overall. It's mm-hmm. just a it's just a new category that was invented back then, yeah. and it's still uh, you know it's still consumed quite a lot, right? In a lot it of the is. Uh, yeah. Korean what is particularly cuisines. interesting too is spam was an American invention, but I mean you know people do eat spam in the U.S., but I feel like now it's popular for like you know. It's well known for being in like Hawaiian cuisine, right? Mm-hmm. Filipinos eat it a lot. It's very yeah. well u- used Korean. in Korean cuisine because of the yeah. U.S. military bases there, right? Right, right, right. Um, Okinawa in Japan, same thing, right? All, mm-hmm. all, all these are like reflections of U.S. Colon- col- I can't say the word. Culinary. U.S. Colonialism, <laughs> colonialism, right? Throughout okay. throughout history. Um, which yeah. also really shows, right, during war, what happens is, like, people actually end up bringing your food culture to other countries in a weird way. And, yeah, exactly. Know, right, right, right. And I feel, I guess, in recent days, well, years, mm-hmm. uh, spam is making a comeback to the U.S. based upon... I guess it's based upon like these popularity of uh, K dramas and all these uh, uh, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, Asian yeah. American uh, yeah. cultures. Because I think right? sometimes so, before all of this like K drama haze or craze, I think people see spam as just like oh cheap food, like right, right, know. right. And there are now more ways to eat it, or you see more of them from you know TV shows and that's stuff. That's true. Yeah, like uh-huh. TikTok videos of whatnot, like how to make spam musubi, or like yeah, look yeah, at my exactly. spam bowl, or yeah. like whatever it is. Yeah. Uh huh. So I guess that's just interesting, and, and you know we we've talked about the story of canning back then and how people took a long way for people to figure out a way to preserve food in a can, mm-hmm. and and. Um, I guess this is just another example of how 
canning is, is working and is um, e- even though the the science uh, is is complex, um, the practice it's uh, it's relatively easy and attainable for uh, for people back then to to get enough of uh, the spent meat overseas and um, mm-hmm. um, and also canning other things, right? So um, this is one. I, I guess it's just a good example to show how. Uh, I guess especially during wartime, it's all solution driven, right? You, mm-hmm. you just need a way to to, to do it. Yeah. Uh, perhaps uh, the 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 mechanism and the uh, quote unquote science mm-hmm. uh, isn't as important. Yeah, um, it might not be as well studied, yeah. but if it works, like ship it first. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. There. Yeah. So, so I guess that's one of those type of forced innovation back then, and um, mm-hmm. it had kept its way. Uh, it has uh, been been with us since mm-hmm. then, and, yeah. and perhaps in a larger extent, I think we should talk about um, HACCP, right? So hazardous yeah. analysis and critical control. And Ben, control I feel like you point. have quite a bit to say about this one in terms HACCP? of how, yeah, or like how how it ties into World War Two and HACCP, and maybe yeah. we can t- let people know what HACCP stands for. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. So so it's a hazardous analysis and critical control point mm-hmm. so this is a uh, essentially a, a preventative quality control method or plan that is implemented in almost all if you're in the u.s almost all food processing plants thanks mm-hmm. to the new law that was signed back in like 2013 2014 mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. so now yeah. uh that requires uh you know any sizable uh, all food operations right. to have one of these plans right. that they, right. um, they they need to be uh, 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 laying out things that could potentially go wrong. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's so, more so of a preventative f- method, right? More than anything yes. else. Like if you think it, about you're making, let's say you're making uh, cupcakes or whatever to sell at the food mm-hmm. market, right? One way you could ensure safety is check every single cupcake. <laughs> like, are there yeah. pathogens? Is it fine? Is the quality mm-hmm. good? Are there like, did I accidentally drop my earring <laughs> in the cupcake? Yeah. Like, is someone going to choke on it? That's one way to do it. Or you could, instead of checking the final product, you could avoid hazards in the first place by making sure like, oh, no one should be wearing their like jewelry to the you know production facility. Etc. Mm-hmm. So HACCP is really geared towards prevention, right? Yeah. Like, let's say you, you can't really check the you know, temperature of each cupcake, but mm-hmm. you can guarantee that as long as you have your oven turned up to uh, certain degrees for a certain amount of time, mm-hmm. um, the, the internal temperature will get to uh, a certain degree that it will be food safe. Exactly. Right? So. Yeah, so these are things that you will think ahead of time and keep them uh, in your wrong book, um, and um, so w- which will minimize risks. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, all, so, so all of this. So, so this is just a. It's like a very large playbook for uh, for operation, right? So, so and it deals with all aspects of potential hazards. Uh, mm-hmm. from uh, microbes, uh, let's say some food safety, food poisoning related um, right, incidents. Right, your E. coli, your salmonellas. Exactly. Or it could also be uh, things that are chemical, say that um, your your water got polluted or 
uh, there are cer- certain, uh, let's say, pesticides on on on, on plants or, or 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 fruits and vegetables that mm-hmm. might be passed on to to the finished foods. So mm-hmm. these are things that you would check, or you would ensure that uh, your supplier that would check uh, these type of things. Mm-hmm, uh, and it could also be physical, uh, like things like a falling uh, earring or or, or or ring, some type of. Uh, uh, these type of physical hazards, right? In addition yeah, to the like biological, a, the chemical, like a choking hazard mm-hmm. for for mm-hmm. people potentially. Um, so all of these is kind of originated from World War II, the production of World War II, uh, because of um, these type of military used um, you know, production process monitoring plants. Mm-hmm. That means, uh, so uh, instead of just testing the finished product, mm-hmm. uh, they are coming up with ways to monitor the process, meaning that, uh, so so being the logic that if you do everything right, your product is- Should be right, too. Should, should be right, exactly. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess that ensures like whatever product you have actually works at the front line instead of like discovering yeah. that something doesn't work. Right, right, right. So this is really from reactive to preventative um, mm-hmm. type of measure. It kind of started during World War II, but it wasn't fully implemented until uh, the space race uh, in the 60s and 70s with mm-hmm. NASA, um, which is back then was NASA was heavily tied with the U.S. military. Oh, and, um, really? I didn't yeah. know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and that was more of a... a um, because because of the Cold War, it was serving kind of as a dual purpose um, mm-hmm. agency. Um, so they borrowed a lot of these uh, military standards to make space food, right? And mm-hmm. and back then, uh, in the '60s, there were more technological uh, advancements in the food um, so industry overall, right? That we have better monitoring systems, um, more analog uh, signals to monitor temperatures, monitor. Uh, different um, uh, process parameters, mm-hmm. so that so that was then used and converted into the um, kind of the modern uh, HACCP plants, mm-hmm. and um, because it worked well for um, for uh, 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 the space food and military foods, uh, it really got passed on to a lot oh, of the big food right. plants first, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, because the big food companies are uh, more cautious about their qualities and, and right. more cautious about more people are eating their foods if something goes wrong right right right, right. and um, and especially it is implemented first to um, meat uh, and, and uh, poultry type of um, uh, processing plants mm-hmm. uh, because they are with higher risk in terms right. of food poisonings and, right uh, right huh, I didn't know that. So I guess it was sort of proven to be very effective during the World War II and then with the space race when they were producing space food and that kind of mm-hmm. migrated over to the mainstream food production yeah. facilities yeah, yeah, as yeah. well. Wow. Yeah, so so they were think it's just kind of thinking ahead of all the possibilities so that whenever like things goes down, you have a way to prevent it or uh, or, or well, at least you, you know how to react to certain things as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and that kind of passed along to the uh, Food Safety Modernization Act, uh, which is the recent change in the uh, food regulations in the U.S. Mm-hmm. 
and I don't really know if the EU actually forces uses uh, HACCP. I think they do use HACCP. They might be but, called um, like a different name. Uh, oh, I'm just gonna look it up. I think they the also. I think they oh, also it's required use it by in law. the EU. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. So all things are also HACCP here in the EU. Mm -hmm. Um. So so it just I I guess uh in a modernized uh food supply uh supply chain overall um so that means most of the western uh, world uh, mm -hmm. has been this has been implemented and many places in the world has been adopting one form or the other of these uh, HACCP plans right which is um, actually just a good thing right for everyone yeah. involved yeah yeah that's that's, that's yeah just, that's interesting i didn't know it actually originated from world war ii Hmm. Yeah, I, I guess it's just what well, maybe at the larger parties just originated from military logistics, mm -hmm. right? Because um, the entire um, purpose of having a military is prepare for wars or uh, national defense. Yeah. Uh, so, and in this process, uh, there are a lot of elements, moving parts, and one of the uh, most crucial I'm making this bold, but I think so uh, too. It's uh, it's uh, or the crucial element is uh, food supplies. Yeah, right? how do you feed all these troops? Yeah, well, right? first of all, they yeah. have to get fed because they're the people operating machinery. They're people on the front lines, right? Mm -hmm. Second of all, it's not just what they I mean that they're fed, but it's also what they eat, right? We all know that you know food is very very intricately tied to people's morale right like yeah. if you even think about like, just don't think about the military think about when people have a hard day what do they turn to food right yeah yeah <laughs> like, yeah or when they food have is... a happy day celebration what is there good food mm -hmm. right food is just so tied to every aspect like we're not just yeah. eating to nourish ourselves but we're also eating for other reasons yes yes yeah. and this is um this is a very important element to 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 the entire war operation mm -hmm. right and uh, we're gonna talk about uh right now uh how food and war uh their relation is mm -hmm. uh, but maybe just for a teaser uh 3d food printing uh the area <laughs> that i research on right uh, it, it's also a top interest or or at least uh, one of the um uh, a key research interest from military foods, mm -hmm. right, and space foods, uh, because of a, a food printer are, is mobile and is capable of preparing assemble uh, complex foods. Oh. Uh, it could be used for combat as well, mm -hmm. right? So, so for example, these uh, food printers uh, can be uh, attached or installed to um, to trucks uh, that are transporting soldiers, and uh, they can just be mobile uh, kitchens. Uh, that, that can supply what, what are the and, possibilities of the type of foods that this printer will produce yeah so so it would have some uh, ability of personalized foods right so so uh let's say uh troops may have certain diet requirements that uh, requires uh, certain formulations uh, these type of machines can uh, dosing essentially let's say vitamins uh different type of uh, nutrients together mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in like a dough or uh, or a paste format mm -hmm. and that could be let's say baked into some type of uh, pastry or um, 
or just bread. Um, mm, so as a I carb see, source, um, and in the more recent development, you can also start to print, um, let's say, meat-like structures or uh, type of um, uh, uh, whole cut meat mm. that can also be, um, you know, a convenient way to uh, let let's say they're all out on the field. It's hard to get um, th- these type of uh, uh, fresh meat products. Um, it's possible that you can use some of these um, substrates and to create uh, to create the similar effect. Yes, 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 and and you can also cook them on promise uh, for for something that um, maybe a oh. little bit more than just the traditional combat foods. I see, um, I see. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so these are kind of the new tags that are maybe going into um, military foods, which essentially deals with more uh, it's on the realm of more of customization and personalization of foods um mm-hmm. for 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 uh for, for the soldiers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah wow. interesting huh right so i guess um we, we will uh continue this topic in the next episode yes and for talk, sure. um, talk about how war and uh, food are interacting um you know, it's it's a sad time, really, for um, for, for yeah. many people. And for all, also for feel, all involved, yeah. right? It's yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, we really hope uh, uh, this the situation could just be resolved very soon, yeah. and yeah. Um, uh, we're just back to normal, back to mm-hmm. the peaceful life. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, mm-hmm. there will be a peace coming soon, right? Well. We'll see how things play out, but uh, you know mm-hmm. it's obviously a very, very sad time for a lot of people. Um, so you know we keep them in our prayers, and then mm-hmm. um, you know we'll we'll you know this is something that a lot of people are affected by, right? In different ways, um, some people more directly affected, some less directly affected. Um, but hopefully, we will see this resolve sometime soon, mm-hmm. right? That is the hope. Yep. Yeah. So uh, that's been an episode. Uh, sorry, we've been taking a little hiatus for for a bit. Yes, it has been uh, a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But we're back in 2022, and that's right. uh, hopefully, we are. Uh, we're we're gonna uh, see more of uh, interactions with you, uh, so mm-hmm. you can contact yeah. us at fihpodcast at gmail dot com. And uh, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening.